Good morning. I'm continuing our series called The Crook in Your Lot, and it's uh, based on a series of sermons done by Thomas Boston, who was a Puritan pastor. Um, Puritans are a great bunch of uh, Christians, uh, our, our forefathers, who were very, very faithful men and women who uh, really built the kingdom of God in their generation. And we've received a lot of blessings, even down to our time, from uh, their faithfulness. But in this series of sermons, uh, Pastor Boston addresses a, a major concern that we all deal with in life, which is the hard things, the difficulties, the trials, the pain, the suffering, uh, things that are broken that we can't fix, things that are out of place that we can't reset. And he calls it the crook in your lot. It's based on a proverb in Ecclesiastes that says, who can make straight what God has made crooked? God's made it crooked, you can't make it straight. So a crook is a crooked thing in your life. It's an affliction or problem that you can't get rid of, that you deal with over and over and over again. It's not when you hammer your, your thumb with a, a hammer on accident, a one-off thing, but it's just something that's consistently troubling and difficult. It could be a physical uh, problem. It could be a mental problem. It could be a relational problem. It could be uh, all sorts of things. But it's trouble in your life that you cannot get rid of, no matter how hard you try. Because, as we learn in the scriptures, the crook in our lot is assigned by God. God gives it to us. And so today, what we're going to be looking at is why God gives us the crook. Why does God make the crook in our lot? The passage that we're going to be considering, the main passage, which answers this question, uh, why does God give the crook? Now, we looked last week at the sin of Adam and Eve, and that in their sin, we all sinned. And so the consequences, the negative things in this world, the bad things that happen, that is the crook in our lot. God has made the world around us crooked, just like our hearts are crooked. So the world around us is a reflection of our own um, brokenness and sin, and it should drive us to God. That's the whole human race. But a separate question is, if God loves me and he's saved me and he's made me one of his kids, then why do I still have crooks in my lot? I mean, why is he giving me, one of his children, this crooked thing? Well, that's the question that's being addressed in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. A little context. The book of Hebrews was written just a, a few years before the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 A.D., and at just the wrong time, these Jewish Christians who had converted from Judaism to Christianity were being tempted to go back to the sacrificial system, back to the temple system, back to the priests and the goats and the blood and the Passover and the law. They were, they were basically getting ready to forsake Christ and go back to Judaism, which would have been really bad timing since in about two years, all of Jerusalem would be burned to the ground and over two million Jews would be killed by the Romans. And so the writer of Hebrews is explaining to these Christians how Christ is superior to this temple in every way. And toward the end of the book, he starts to explain to them, look, you're going through these horrible challenges. You're being persecuted. These are crooks in your lot. God has made your lot crooked. What do you think is going on? Do you think it's because God hates you? No. These are good things from God. Now, when they heard this, they probably scratched their head like you and I scratch our head. But here is the thinking. Here's why God gives his children crooks in their lot. Let's, uh, let's read it together. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider Jesus and what he went through. Look at the crook in his lot. and Look at how he handled it. Look at how he responded. So that you, you Christians who are thinking about forsaking Christ, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, in your struggle against the persecutors... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. They didn't kill you like they killed Jesus. You're still alive. And you have, have you forgotten the exhortation? 
Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten what the word of God says? Do you know what it says? It says, my sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. That's how God treats his children. And then it says, it is for discipline. It is for your training, your maturity, your growth, your perfection. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a son. But what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're not sons. Besides this, we've all had earthly fathers. We all have dads, right? We know what our dads are like. They disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For these men, these fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as they seem best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline, all crooks in our lots, they seem painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you're trained by it, it will produce in you the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It will produce in you holiness. Because God is good. He loves you. He wants good for you. And this is how he treats his sons. He gives crooks in their lot. This is a fundamental understanding. If you have a crook, God is the one who gave it to you. And since he gave it to you, you should ask him to take it away. And if he doesn't take it away, ask your good and loving father to give you the grace to endure it and to work through it to make you into the man and woman he wants you to be. God makes our crooks. God makes our crooks. And there are all sorts of scriptures that talk about this. For example, in Amos 3.6, it says, Is a trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? No, when that trumpet blows, people freak out. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? No. All the disasters that have happened to any city in the history of the human race, God has done. God has done it? Well, well, that means God is bad. Why? Well, because disasters are bad. Says who? By what standard? Whose word gets to define good and bad? Whose word gets to define justice and injustice? Who are you, man, to judge God and say, by my external standard that I hold up before you, by this ruler that I have decided is the straight line, I'm going to hold you to it and determine that you are guilty, God, of being unjust because you destroyed this city. Who do you think you are, my creator, to destroy this city that you created? Who? What are we doing? What are we doing? God is the standard of just and righteous and good and true. And by his word, by his word, we judge and decide. By his word, we understand the things that he does. So yes, God destroys cities, and he has the prerogative to do it. And more than that, it says in Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas, and all the deep, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Wait a minute. But who does he ask permission from? Nobody. But who does he get advice from? Nobody. Well, then how do we stop him? We can't. How do we control him? We can't. But that makes me feel like I'm a creature. You are. You are. See, it's so humbling when you learn about the godness of God. It it can feel so vulnerable until you remember that he's good all the way down to the bottom and that he loves you. He loves you so much that he would, he would, he would die for you. He loves you so much that he would give, give, give everything for you. And he did. 
He became a man and gave up his glory. He became a man and suffered disgrace and shame and humiliation and sickness and all the bad things that you can think of. And then what did he do? He loved and he served and he poured out his love in people and he submitted and trusted and obeyed his father all the way to death for you. So yeah, he's big and he's strong and he's powerful and he's the boss and you can't stop him. But the good news is he's good and loving and he loves you. And now all that power he has, all that control he has is no longer something that will scare us, but something that will assure us, my father's in control. Oh, my father's in control. I'm safe. I'm safe. My, the, the one who's in control is now my father. I'm now his son. And that means I'm good. Because nobody can stop me. Nobody can, can take me from his hand. Nobody can do anything to me that he won't let them do. And if he lets them do it, it's because he's doing good for me and I trust him. That's the attitude of a Christian. You see how this matters when it comes to looking at your crook? you got to know that it comes from God. That it's not some chaotic process. That it's not just some random event that God is not in charge of. Because that will drive you nuts. That will lead you to despair. You'll despair. The reason why Christians are depressed, and there's lots of reasons, there's all sorts of things, there are some chemical things that can happen, but a lot of the time the reason why Christians are depressed is because they have crooks in their lot, but they don't see that through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of the scriptures. They're not believing what God has said, or they don't know what God has said about the crook in their lot, and so when they look at it, they can make no sense of it, and over time it just brings them to despair. But you can endure anything if you have hope and if you have understanding if there's purpose in the pain if there's a reason in the suffering you can endure it you won't despair the same providence that same control that god used to bring you out of the womb he uses that to fix you to all of the crooks in your lot he brought you out of the womb. He put you in your place. He allotted to you your life. He allotted to you your crooks. And he did this from eternity past. It says in Acts 17, 24 through 26, when Paul's speaking to a bunch of Athenian pagans about the real God that they do not know. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, that means he's in charge of it all, does not live in temples made by man. He's not controllable by men. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, everything you have is given to you by God. There's no neutral. There's no automatic. There's no place over here that God is not just in charge of. That doesn't exist. That's not real. That world doesn't exist. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He's the one who made from one man every nation. And then it says, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God decided where you're going to live, what nations were going to exist, when the Persians were going to start and end, when the Babylonians were going to start and end, when the Aztecs were going to start and end. He decided the boundaries of the Pawnee. He decided how big America was going to be and when America's going to end. He decided when you were going to be born, where you're going to live, who your parents were, what your hair color was going to be, how tall you were, all of the things you got. He determined all that stuff. That's what God just, God, that's, that's the province of God. That's what God does. That's what the scripture says. 
And then it says in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even the dice. No, no, but there's there's chance. You see, there's like mathematical laws. No, no, no. Even the dice, God chose that too. Every lotto that comes up, God determines that. That's what it says. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And by the way, that's why the apostles, when they were determining who to replace Judas with, because Judas betrayed Jesus and he hung himself and he died, and they had to pick a guy to replace Jesus. And so they had two guys that were both qualified. They were both ready to go. And they couldn't decide. So they said, Lord, you'll decide. And they cast lots. They rolled dice. And God chose. But they didn't say, oh, two out of three. Well, that was just chance. No, no, no. They understood biblically that that was God's direction because God speaks. He's in charge. He's the one who chooses. Every free act that you make, and you are totally free. You're 100% free. And God is 100% free. And yet God is 100% in control. And yet you're 100% free. Both are true. Both are true. God created you free, and God is completely sovereign and providentially in control. Both are true. They're, they're not actually in conflict. This is how big God is. This is the godness of God. Well, I can't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't understand every dimension of God. Of course, he's God. It's what's called an antimony. Two things that are both true that seem contradictory, but they're not. They're both true. For example, light has both wave and particle behavior. Light, light uh, behaves um, exhibits the properties of both wave and particle. There's nothing else in the world that is that's both wave and particle. They're either particle or wave, but light is both, and we can't explain it. But it's both true. It's a contradiction. That's called an antimony. And there are all sorts of things about God that seem contradictory, but they're not. They're not. You're free, and God is 100% in control. So who works all things out for the counsel of his will? Who's in charge? Who's working everything out? Who's the one who's making the calls? According to the scriptures in Ephesians 1.11, it's God. It says... God works all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. He is counseling himself. He's not asking anybody else. He's doing what he wants to do according to his good pleasure. According to the good pleasure of the counsel of his will. Even the individual and the choices we make are controlled, are in, are in the hands of God. So in Proverbs 21.1 it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. God can turn the heart of a person. He can turn the heart of a king. That's a, that's a wonderful thing, because if you're having conflict with somebody, you can speak to God and say, God, will you turn their heart? And God can, and he will. Because that's how big God is. There are two types of crooks that God gives us. The first is a pure, sinless crook, and the second is sinful crooks. Now, the sinful crooks are the crooks that come into our life because of our sin. Right? We, we've done something foolish. We've done something sinful. You know, we, we, we drank a long time, and then we have pickled our liver. Or... You know, we're reckless as a human being and we got into a big car accident and so now, you know, we have a limp or some other thing that we do that causes problems. There's relational problems like, um, you know, I was a drunk, I was an abusive father for my children's whole life and then I get sober, I come to Christ, but now uh, they're all grown and they won't have anything to do with me. And it's really painful. It's this crook in my life. It's crooked. I want God to take it away. I want God to restore us, but they won't have anything to do with me. Well, that is because of the sinful choices I made in my youth and now I'm suffering those consequences. I'm not saying God delights in that. I don't delight in that. And may God change that. But that consequence, that crook that you're experiencing is because of the choices that you made in sin. We all know this. We all know that the choices we make have consequences and that there are crooks in our lot that come from our sin. Okay? So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one. But I'm going to spend a time on one that you may not be so familiar with, and that is um, uh, pure, sinless crooks. These are crooks that you have in your lot that are not because of any sin that you committed. You didn't do anything wrong, but God still assigned this to you. For example, Hannah. 
She was barren. In the time of the judges, there was a woman named Hannah. She wanted to have children, and she couldn't. Her husband loved her. And it says something interesting. In 1 Samuel 1.5, it says, But Hannah, he gave a double portion to her, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Why couldn't Hannah have a baby? Well, you see, she had this, this issue, and, and her husband had this thing, and they were going to go get some, some help from the doctors, and you know, it was really just a medical problem. Now, I'm not against you know, doctors being a help and, and trying to help you have kids. That's a wonderful thing, and praise God for that medicine technology. But the reason why Hannah couldn't have kids is because a person said no, and that person is identified in the Scripture as the Lord. The Lord had decided to close her womb, and there was nothing that she could have done to open it. Did she sin? Nope. God assigned this to her. This was the lot that he gave her. This was the crook that he put in her lot. Now, she cried out to the Lord, and she begged him, and he opened her womb. And he gave her Samuel, who would become one of the great judges, one of the great leaders, one of the great prophets in the history of Israel. But there was a time when she had this this crook in her lot, but it wasn't her fault. Another example of this would be the man who was born blind in the time of Jesus. The disciples were going through the temple. They saw this guy blind. He'd been blind for 40 years. They said, hey, who sinned, this guy or his parents, to make him blind? Because, of course, there's only sinful crooks in life. People who have crooks in their lot, things that are crooked in their life, problems and pain, that's only because they've sinned. That was the conception that these men had. And Jesus said to them, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. You mean this man was given blindness by God for 40 years so that God's work could be revealed in him? Yes. How dare God? Who does God think he is giving his creatures these assignments? Who does he think he is to to, to tell us and to give us these crooks in our lot? He's, He's God. He's the creator. He's the one holding the atoms together in that tongue that you're using to curse him. And at any moment, God could simply go, and you would disappear like Thanos' snap. But thank God that he's good and patient and merciful. And he is willing to hear our railing and our anger and our bitterness and our scorn to him. He's willing to take that disrespect and sin because he knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. Like a good father, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And yeah, he has the right to give us our assignments. I never saw my mother run. I never saw my mother run because both of her knees were badly crippled my entire life. She had a water skiing accident and there was an accident at work. She had a fake knee or a knee replacement in one of her knees, then the second knee, and then the the first knee replacement didn't work. She had a second one, eventually a third one on that knee, and a second one on the other knee. She had, I think, 16 or 18 major surgeries. I mean, she was just a wreck physically my whole life. And she worked that whole time. I mean, she worked multiple jobs. She had a great attitude. She was always hosting people and decorating. And she was always giving and pouring out. And she was always in pain. You should have seen her medicine cabinet. And I remember people from the church would come and pray for her and pray that God would deliver her. And and he would do these things. And uh, he never did. She died last year. Uh, She died from COVID complications. Kind of. It's a complicated story. But before that, she had cancer. So my whole life, which was at that point 40 years, like this blind man, my whole life, for 40 years, she had suffered physical pain. My mom never cursed God. 
She asked him to change it. She didn't want it. Sometimes she asked, is there something that I've done? But she never cursed God. She never doubted God's goodness. And she submitted to him. What a great woman. Sorry. That hit me. What a great mom. What a great example. There are things in our lives that are crooks that God gives us. And they're they're horrible. They're miserable. They're bad. They are. And yet our good father gives them to us. Why? Let's let's continue. In Exodus 4.11 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Who gives speech to the mortals? Who makes them mute and deaf, seeing and blind? Is it not I, the Lord? It almost seems like God is just heaping condemnation on himself. It's like, don't you have any, aren't you worried about your reputation? I mean, you're just saying that you're giving people these crooks in their lot. I mean, what are you doing? And God is not concerned about his reputation. God is concerned with the truth and us learning how to relate to him as he actually is. And to understand ourselves according to what he says and sees in his word. God makes us what we are. He is the maker of the poor. And this is why we don't reproach the poor. Because God gives poverty as an assignment. He assigns poverty to people. In 1 Samuel 2.7, it says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. In Proverbs 17.5, it says, This is why whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Not the maker of the human race, but the maker of the poor. The one who made him poor. Who He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. When you see a poor person and you say, Ah, you're just poor because you know you don't work hard. You don't pull yourself with your own bootstraps. You're just lazy. Actually, there's a whole bunch of kids in Ukraine that are going to be poor their entire life because of something that they had nothing to do with. And God is the one who has assigned them that lot. Now, is our God big enough and strong enough and good enough and loving enough so that when it's all said and done and they look back over their life, they say, Worthy are you, Lord, to receive honor and glory and power and praise. Look how wise you are. Looking back on this life, I can see now all that you did and I wouldn't change a thing. Is God capable of doing that? See, why don't we start with the assumption that God is good? And let's think and let's imagine. Let's use our imagination to justify God, not condemn God. Let's start with the premise that God is good, that he is loving, and let's make our minds work for his honor. Let's not let our God be put into a dock, put into the trial, sitting in the defendant's stand, and bring out the evidence, well, this is why God may be bad, but then this horrible thing happened, and I will decide whether or not God is good. No, 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 we are not God's judge. He is our judge. He is God, and we are not. And so if we're going to use our reason, if we're going to use our imagination, we should imagine all the ways that God is good, and this thing that he has given to us is good, even though it is bad. Let's use our imagination. We all know what this is like. Talk to the high school girl who has a boyfriend that her parents don't like. No, you don't understand. I just love him. He's so nice. Yeah, but he just like stole something from the set of love. But you don't understand. You see, in this particular angle, he looks so, he's just, you know, he's trying to give money to his mom. And look at how the high school girl turns her mind into pretzels to justify her crazy boyfriend. Why don't we do that for God? I mean, the crazy boyfriend's actually guilty. God is not. You see, we're capable of justifying. But we have to start with the premise that God is good and that he does love us. And the proof of that is Jesus. That's the next passage I want you to see. You see, we might think, why would God give this to me? How wrong is that? But actually, God gave to us 
God gave to us. He's giving to us really a fraction of what he gave to his son. Jesus Christ took on the worst crook and the worst lot that anybody ever had for you. Jesus went through a kangaroo trial, falsely accused, beaten, whipped, ripped, broken, hung on a cross, buried. This is God. Why would God do that? Why would God condescend and humble himself? Why would he take on such a crooked life? Why would he face such horrible things for you? Our God is not up in heaven saying, well, I know this is for your good. Our God is down here on the earth. He was down here on the earth suffering for us more than we suffer. That was the most unjust thing that ever happened in history. And yet our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took it willfully. He willingly submitted himself to this crook in his lot. And he did not deserve it. You and I deserve much worse than we get because of our sin. We deserve hell. Jesus deserved all power, glory, and honor. But he didn't get that. And he willingly gave that up. For you, that's the demonstration of the goodness and love of God. Whenever our hearts start to condemn God because of the crooked things in our lives, we should remember what our God did for us on the cross. And even that was predetermined by God. That's why Peter says in Acts 4.27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. This is a prayer he's praying to the Father with all the church uh, Christians. Your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, God, and your plan, God, had predestined to take place. You're telling me that the most wicked and unjust thing that ever happened in the human race, the murder of Jesus, that that was actually predestined to take place by the hand and plan of God? Yes. And it was all for your salvation. That horrible, horrible thing, that wicked, wicked thing, that the, the most unjust thing in the history of the human race turned out to be your and my salvation. That horrible day turned out to be the best day. That loss on the cross turned out to be the victory over sin, death, and Satan. That, that low, low point turned out to be the high point for our whole race. You see, so you can't see what God is doing in your crook. You don't know because you're not God. You're not the Father. You can't see, but he can see. And Jesus is our elder brother, showing us how to trust our father with the crooks in our life. And he says, come watch me. Look what I do. Look how I trust my father. I don't rail against my father and I obey my father in faith because I know my father is going to use it for good. And what happened? He was raised and then he was exalted to the right hand of the father. And to now, uh, today, right now, Jesus Christ rules and reigns over heaven and earth. Everything has been given to him. And he sits at the right hand of the father until all of his enemies are made a footstool. He was given ultimate glory. That's the end of the crook story for Jesus. Crook, lot, suffering, death, glory. Now, will your father do that for you? Will he take your crook if you trust and obey him the way Jesus did? And will he do that for you? Will he do that for your children? I don't see how it could work. Neither did the disciples. That's why they ran away. But three days later, he rose from the dead, and then he understood. You may not understand until you're with the Lord. But in faith, you must trust the Lord. So why would God give me this crook? If I'm his son and he loves me, why would he give it to me? Well, if you read the passage we read at the beginning, you can see it. The answer is he wants to create in you holiness and godliness. He wants to create in you peaceful fruits of righteousness. He wants to create in you the peaceful fruit of righteousness. He wants to restore to you the image of God in you. 
He wants to remake you into the kind of human being that he created Adam and Eve to be. He wants to conform you to the image of his son. He wants to fill you with wisdom and power and maturity and glory and righteousness and love and joy and holiness. He wants to make you somebody who can stand in his presence forever. And our God is a consuming fire. And only the most pure, pure, pure substance can handle that kind of heat. And so God wants to purify you and make you into something glorious that you were created to be. And he's doing it through the forge, the fire of crooks. That's the answer. That's the answer. And that's why in Hebrews it says, at the very end of the passage, in verse 10, it says, For they disciplined us, our fathers disciplined us for a short time as they saw best, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. There it is, his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God wants to grow righteousness and holiness in you and wisdom and power and joy. And these are all his gifts, but they come to you as you faithfully trust him and you accept the crook in the lot that he's given you. You can pray that God would remove it. But like Christ who said, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way for me to save these people other than the cross, I want that. Not my will, your will be done. God, if you're willing to remove this crook, please do it. But if you're not, I want to do your will. Would you give me the grace I need to endure it? And if you'll do that, God will grow in you godliness. He will grow in you holiness. He will grow in you righteousness. And he will transform you into a true image bearer, a true son and daughter who, who bear the image of their father. That's what you're made for. That's what he's offering you. That's the only offer. And that's the thing you need to love. That's the thing you need to learn to love. And if you don't love that, if you don't want holiness and righteousness, you want an easy, comfortable life, then repent and say to God, I know that in my heart, I just want an easy, comfortable life. But I know I should want holiness and I should want righteousness, but I don't want holiness and righteousness. I want a crookless life. But God, I want to want holiness and righteousness. I want to want it. I don't want it, but I want to want it. Would you change my wanter? Would you purify my heart? Would you make me love what you love so that I don't live a life of frustration and despair and anger because of all these crooks that you're giving me for my good, but I don't want the thing you're growing in me through them. I don't want what you want from me. And that's an honest prayer. And many of you may need to pray that. I've had to pray that many times. I've seen what God wants from me. and I'm like, I don't want to go there. I don't want that. But then I realize, well, he's good. He loves me and I should, but I can't make myself want it. So I just say, Lord, would you make me want it? And sometimes that happens. The last time it took three years, to be honest with you, the last time that God uh, changed my want to, it took three years. So we set our heart on holiness and righteousness. And then all of a sudden we understand why the crooks are being given to us by our good and loving father. So how do we endure? If we accept this, if we accept our place as God's children, if we accept our place as creatures and he is the creator, if we see that God is sovereign and he has the right to, to give us the crooks that we have, then what do we do? How do we endure? Read the passage again to yourself. Read the passage. Everything you need to know is in Hebrews 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. One, you have to endure with the right assumptions. And the assumption is God is good. That's verse 6. God is good. Don't let anybody... Uh, don't let anybody weaken your faith on that. Don't let anybody change your mind on that. Don't let the enemy lie to you. God is good. You hold fast to that. When you have right doctrine, you hold it fast. When you have right doctrine, you hold it fast. God is good. And you do not let that go. Number two, you have to have the right example. You just can't say, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to learn the principles and I'm just going to make myself do it. 
It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You need an example, an exemplar, someone to imitate, someone to help you, show you the way, and that's Jesus. That's why in verse 3 it says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Look at Jesus. Look at how he bore his crooks in his lot and imitate him. And if you don't know how, then ask him, Lord, I want to. And then read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the epistles, which explain all that Jesus taught. Read the scriptures so you can learn to handle your crooks like the Lord Jesus. This is how you endure in faith. Number three, you have to have the right attitude towards the Father. You have to choose in faith your attitude. Your attitude should be respectful, verse 9. Your attitude should be humble and willfully submitting to God, verse 9. You say to God, this is miserable, I hate this, would you please take this away? Would you please straighten out this relationship? Would you please restore this relationship with my estranged child? Would you please fix my marriage? Would you please break this addiction I have? Would you please heal my son? Would you please heal my daughter? Would you please take away this, this constant pressure in this one area? Would you please take it away? But in humility, you end that prayer with, if you think it's best, but if it's not best in your eyes, I trust and submit to you. This is how you endure. This is how you participate in faith in your own sanctification. That's humility. Number three, the right attitude is teachability. You notice in verse 11 what it says. In verse 11 it says, For all those who have been trained by it. Are you allowing God to train you through the crooks or are you just angry? I'm just mad at God because all these other people have all these great things, but I don't get any great things and nobody ever gives me great things. It's grumbling. It's covetousness. It's anger. It's, it's insolence. It's saying, you don't take good care of me. You de- I deserve it. You don't do good to me. That's not teachability. That's not being willing to learn from God what he wants to teach you. <clears throat> the fourth thing it takes to endure, if you want to endure as a Christian, you need to have the right expectations. Verse 6 says, expect whippings. The word in verse 6 is chastise. That word literally means scourge or whip. God is saying that he whips the sons he loves. So if your crook feels like you're being whipped, that's exactly what you should expect. Because that's what God says. He says he chastises, whips, every son whom he receives. Now he's not whipping you in anger. He's whipping you in love. He's correcting you in love for your good, for your righteousness, for your holiness, like a good father does. You should also expect bloodshed. Verse 3. The writer of Hebrews says, you have not resisted the point of bloodshed, meaning you're going to face a hostile culture in your life that is going to constantly attack you. And the culture you live in, this toxic, godless, pagan culture we're living in now that is at war with God, it is going to be a crook in your lot all of your days. And you may have to resist, and it may cost you your life at some point. It may cost you your job. It may cost you relationships. In other words, to submit to God in obedience, in the crook of this culture, it may cost you a lot. So be prepared for that. And that's what verse 4 says, hatred of the world. The world will hate you for your faithfulness to God. And that is a crook in your lot. What's crooked about this world is that this culture hates Christ. And we love Christ and we obey him. He's the creator, we're the creature, and we like it. These people want to create themselves. They want to name themselves and they want to decide if they're a male or a female, if they're gay or they're straight, if they're tall or they're short. People want to be their own creator. It's high rebellion against God. And we want to be creatures. We want to submit to God. We want to be free to obey God. And we are being persecuted for that. And that is a crook in our lot. 
But that too is from God. God has given us this. He's put us here at this time. And so we can pray and work to overcome it generation by generation. We can pray for God to deliver us, to protect us, but we will also have to endure it. And that means the hatred of the world. Finally, I got I to gotta do and do not. Do not grow weary or faint hearted. That means you pull out, right? You're in the fire. You're going through the crook. You're trusting God. You're obeying God. You keep trusting God. You're like, you know what? I'm done. Forget this. I'm done. I'm done with this. It's too much. I'm done. And you go off and you go sin. You go off and you go blow up. You go off in high rebellion. Do not grow weary and faint hearted. Keep trusting God. And this is why you must be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because as you tell them the truth about the crook in your life, they can pray and encourage you and support you and help you and help you bear it so that you do not take off like a sheep that's running away. Don't become weary and faint-hearted. Keep trusting God. Do not God uh, despise God or be insolent. Don't be insolent. Insolent is this angry look. Here's a picture on the screen of Anakin Skywalker after his arms and legs were cut off. <laughs> cut off by his adopted father, Obi-Wan Kenobi who was chastising him, beating him, because he'd become this evil monster guy. And at the very end of it, you think he would have repented and said, I'm sorry, I can't believe what I've become. I killed my wife, and I'm a horrible person, and I just I can't believe what I've done to myself. But instead, he looks up with these angry red eyes, and he says, I hate you! And this is how we can respond to the crook in our lot. After everything we go through, and all that God has said, and all that he's promised, we can still look at him and shake our fists and say, I can't believe you would do this to me. That's called insolence. And in verse 5, it says, do not despise the discipline of your father. If you do that, that will bring greater pain in your life. And finally, do not forget the meaning of the crook. In verse 5, again, he explains to you in verse 5, this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing this to you for your good. Okay? Two things to do. Pray that God will remove the crook. Ask God to remove it. And then finally, receive grace that God would lift you up under the crook. Paul writes something interesting. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Can you believe that? Paul prayed three times that God would take away this crook in his lot. And God said, no, my grace is made perfect in weakness. I am actually going to pour things into you because of this crook that you wouldn't be able to hold otherwise. The grace that God wants to give you, the good things he wants to pour into you, some of the only containers that can contain them are the crooked ones. In our weakness, God pours in grace. In our weakness, God does things in us that he cannot do in any other place. And so, receive the grace that God gives to you in the midst of the crook that you're dealing with. And that means ask him. Just ask him to take it away. And when he does it, ask him to give you everything it takes to go on in faith. And he will. He will, because he's a good father. So my final exhortation is this. Wait patiently until God has mended your crook. Don't try to fix it yourself. You'll only make it worse. Turn to God for help. We can live under the crook that God has given us in life if we get the grace that God gives us. And he gives the grace to the people who endure. We just looked at how it is that we are to endure. Your next steps I want to encourage you to take are one, I want to encourage you to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. If you've not yet decided to receive the salvation, the adoption into God's family, the brand new identity in life that God wants to give you, that comes to you as you choose to acknowledge for the first time that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he's the one who died for your sins, was raised up to the right hand of God the Father, that he is the one who rules and reigns over heaven and earth, 
And you like it. You want that. You want him to be your king of kings. You want him to be your lord. You want him to give you direction. You want to learn how to obey him because you trust him to be good to you. That's the person that you want to worship. That's the God you want to serve. And for the first time, I want to encourage you to do that. The second thing is I want you to admit where you have despaired or where you have despised God's discipline. Maybe you've gotten into despair because you've lost the meaning of it all. Because when you read Hebrews 12, you don't believe God. Yeah, yeah, I know God says that, but in my special case. And then you're all despairing. Repent of that. Say, God, you know, I've, I've been despairing because I've just refused to believe what you say. Would you, would you give me faith? Would you help me with my unbelief? Would you forgive me for doubting your word? And give me the faith to believe you and start acting in faith. Or maybe you've become angry and you've become uh, insolent to God. You despise God. You're mad at God because of what he's given you to bear. I want to encourage you to repent as well. Recognize that you are the creature and he is the creator. He is the father and you are the son. He is good and you are not. And yet he loves you and is working all things for good for you. And so ask for forgiveness for for being angry at him and ask him to change your heart and to help you. And then finally, tell a brother or sister at CIV about your crook. Don't hide it. Don't keep it to yourself because it's private. But tell people, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the thing that's just, it's crooked in my life. And let them pray with you that God would remove it. And ask them to help you, according to the word of God, get wisdom to know what you might need to do, what you might need to do to remove that crook in your life. I hope this has been helpful to you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would commit everything that was true to our hearts, that you'd help us to apply the teaching, that you'd strengthen our faith through it and help us to respond to you with the crooked things in our lives in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.